1: Well, the
3: only thing we can do about it is be prepared. We have a whole group of lawyers who are going out to every polling, every uh, uh, voter registration physician in the, States, respect the, our the state. Respect Get the hell out of the country. Then that's the way I feel. Of course, I'm old fashioned. Right? Nurse uh, nurses at nurses uh, at Walter Reed Hospital who would bend down and whisper in my ear. Go home and get me pillows. They would make sure they'd actually probably nothing ever taught, in, uh, you can't do it in the COVID time. But they'd actually breathe in my nostrils to make me move to get get me moving.
1: Can't do it. Can't do it anytime, Joe. Really, it's uh, <laughs> it's not something that happens generally. That was Joe Biden recalling a few days ago about a uh, experience he had in a in a hospital. He was speaking to the folks at the SEIU. And uh, there you go. It's just uh, where we've grown used to it at this point. He has a lot of intimate physical experiences with uh, with people, and he's—they're very nuanced. Usually, some people would judgmental people would say that a lot of them are very creepy. But um, who knows? I mean, that's—he's speaking his truth. Remember,
3: nurse at, at uh, nurses at uh, Walter Reed Hospital who would bend down and whisper in my ear. Wow. And go home and get me pillows. They would make sure they'd actually probably nothing ever taught in uh you can't do it in the COVID time, but no. they'd actually breathe in my nostrils to yes. make me move, to get get me moving.
1: Yes, it's it's a standard protocol outside of COVID time when people are breathing into your nostrils and going home and fetching pillows for you. But those are the nurses. What about for election fraud, dispatching legions of physicians?
3: Well, the only thing we can do about it is be prepared. We have a whole group of lawyers who are going out to every polling, every uh, uh, voter registration physician in the states, the secretaries of state. Isn't
1: it incredible how much the media is just leaving this alone? You know, enough. Not a word. There's nothing odd or completely detached from that. The fact that the guy does these tiny little sliver media hits, and usually you get one of those per media hit where his mind just flies away, you know? Like those plastic bags that we're not allowed to have anymore because they'd fly away and stick in the trees. Oh yeah, by the way, if you're in uh, Massachusetts, I think I was at Market Basket today and they said that the, the bags are off limits again as of tomorrow, so so, uh, you know, gather them tonight as you can. You're going back to 1975 and paper bags again because the progressives who know, who have prior- reprioritized again now that the pandemic, we've turned a corner or have we. So, uh, because I think about your paper bags again, I'm sure straws will be there too. I mean, the point is to inconvenience you if you haven't noticed uh, from all the COVID or many of the COVID deregulations. Nose... Nurses blowing into your mouth. Charlamagne the God, by the way, is mad. Still mad at Biden. I mean, you remember what when he originally became mad at Biden.
2: Listen, you got to come see us when you come to New York, VP Biden. I a, will. It's a long way until November. We got more questions.
3: You got more um, questions. But I tell you, if you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, and you ain't black. It don't have nothing to do with Trump.
2: It has to do with the fact I want something for my community. I would love to see Take you. Take a look party. at my
3: record, man. I extended the voting racks come 25 down. years. Come I down. have a record that is second to none. The NAACP has endorsed me every time I've run. The wor- I mean, come on. Take a look at the record.
2: You know, I've been critical <laughs> of you. Um, I have a few things I want
1: to talk to you about. This I day. know you have. Yeah. You don't know me. That's right. You don't know me, punk. Well, Charlamagne the God is... Striking back at Joe Biden, putting him and everybody, well, actually, I guess just white America on notice.
2: You know, Joe Biden, I know that you said in 2020, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. It seems to me that in the 18th and 19th century, you could not be president if you ain't racist. I ask again, how will America ever atone for its original sins if it won't even acknowledge
1: them? Uh, Civil War, elected black president, uh, I don't know, all sorts of... uh You know, great society programs, taken and posted on Facebook. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, there's something to what Charlemagne is saying, but I don't know what what performative display do you want, uh, Charlemagne the God? Okay, people were bad in 1700. Okay, they're all jerks. We'll take the statues down. Is that gonna do it? Joe, you gotta hurry up and announce
2: your black woman VP so I can be enthused.
1: All symbolism. All it's just symbolism. We need somebody with a different skin tone because that symbolism is a priority over the expertise a person may have or the knowledge or the you know the job function and ability that that person might perform that's all that matters It's symbols no we need somebody black we need somebody we need somebody we need a woman and she has to be black if that's right her name has to be Jill and you know because that means something too all these symbolic things i'm just sick of it <sighs>
2: about voting for her because i will never be enthused about voting for you and you know america is in a terrible place when kanye west seems like a viable option <laughs> okay
1: leave kanye alone what is wrong with people what is wrong with people come on think about it we hold these truths to be self-evident all men and
3: women created by the go you know the you know the thing
1: you know the thing, Charlemagne. It talked about the uh, the promissory note. That's what it was, okay. And sure, they, to create an equal wasn't uh, literally a uh, something that was uh, that passed the smell test in 1780. But you know, it got better over time through efforts. Through efforts, uh, Charlemagne, we're trying to get better. You know. I don't know what you want me to do. I don't know what you want me to do. You know, you can call. Text me.
3: If you agree with me, go to Joe 30330 and help me in this fight. Thank you very much.
1: By the way, if Charlemagne, before you, you know, throw shade at my good friend uh, Joe Biden, he has brought up this subject in, in terms of education before. Poor
3: kids are just as bright and just as talented as white kids.
1: See? Everybody's even.
3: It would put seven hundred and twenty million back million women back in the workforce.
1: That's what you should be looking at. His platform, Charlemagne: seven hundred twenty million women back in the work, workforce. That is a m- incredibly strong unemployment number when you do the math. But nobody's listening. Nobody's listening. Poor Joe, like they. We need listening again, like we used to listen.
3: Play the radio. Make sure the television, excuse me, make sure you have the record player on at night. Uh,
1: I'm split, by the way, on on record players. I had a record player. Like, we. if you're my age, I'm 47. So if, if you're my age, then you started with a record player and then got into maybe tracks and cassettes and DVDs and all that stuff. But there was a resurgence, a resurgence for records for the sound of records in the nineties. It was part of the whole like alternative thing where we were getting back to basics. Man, I don't. One, I I don't like I don't love record store people people who know a lot of minutia about Miles Davis's like live sets. It's like, oh, if you heard Miles in Toronto, the second show was really the. I mean, there was something happen- there was something in the air that night. Just, shut up. Um, but uh, in the record movement, makes me, I can't, I can't join it. I, I just, some of these things, I just don't trust the actors involved. I, I can't. I loved the, I was a classical music guy. I, not classical, I'm sorry, but that. that would make me a different kind of jerk. But I, I liked classic rock as a teenager. And so, you know, I read about these these rockers and these bands and you know their influences, et cetera. And I got into the doors, like everybody like well, not like everybody actually. I got into the doors and then the movie came out with Val Kilmer about the doors, and then everybody was into the doors in the in the all the rock stations were playing the doors. Then I had to move away from the doors. You know you know how that is. Sometimes when the stupid en masse takes over, it's time to leave and move elsewhere. And you know what? Even that makes me mad at me, that I'm one of those people who has to be like like special or something. Uh, good luck, by the way, to Kirk Minahan, who's taking a little time off. I thought I thought about that because I thought about when I grew up, and I grew up in Winchester. And so did Kirk Minahan, and I didn't know him. But I knew him. I knew all those pals. They were all my pals of my pal. Um, and so um, I thought of that music. I remember there was a time there. In around 1999, 1991, when Ray Manzarek was all over MTV talking about the Doors, and 20 years maybe since at that point, since Morrison was dead or something, one thing you can tell you tell you about the Doors, and this is all leading somewhere, by the way, if you've already uh, mistakenly devoted this much time to this episode. One thing about the Doors is, it's a total rewrite of history. The Doors is not about Jim Morrison. The talent in The Doors was Robbie Krieger. He was the best. He was the guy who made the hooks of the songs. He wrote the best songs for The Doors. He was the talent. Jim Morrison thought he was a genius, but he was a poet. Poets as rock stars are terrible because they can't shut up. Always having to say something over it. Bono has this problem. Always having to talk. Always having to say... Just shut up for a second. The band... The people who don't get to smoke every t- moment in the uh, in the uh, rehearsal room, because they have they have the talent to play instruments because they put the time in because they're more disciplined, no, you know. Let them play. You just take a break, Jim, and do whatever you do during the breaks. But this is like that's what we're seeing right now. Is this a whole re- rewrite of history and people? The thing is, is that now with what's going on in Portland, these people these protesters carrying bricks and laser pointers and shooting laser pointers at cops. And they're all LARPing, um, which is, I think it's live acting, re- what is it? Role-playing. Live action role-playing. I think that's what it is. Uh, all those uh, all those people who are doing it, um, you know, they're just like zillennials and millennials, and they really haven't done anything. So they think that, so they're play acting, pretending. Some of them have little shirts that say medic, and some of them have shirts that say lawyer. And they're totally melodramatic. And they do things the, like yell at the cops, and then they'll spit at the cop or throw a brick at him. And then the cop will take one down and, oh my God, I can't believe it. We're the good people. Why are you, why are you doing this? Why, why, why? And they scream and they holler and they, they can't believe it. And they all say, I'm such a victim. Oh my God, you're on me. You're on me. You're on me. Like the guy we played last night. And it's incredible. The media then records this, and grown men and women in the media my age who know this is horse bleep act like this is news, like this is something really bad, like this is Kent State every night. It's Kent State. Oh, my goodness. Look what's happening. Look what's happening to these poor people. First of all, if you have a kid and he's an Antifa thug, and I'll go with uh, upscale white kid from Wellesley because that's our standard, and he throws a brick at a cop, that's one thing. So the kid's a POS. That's fine. If you have a kid who does that and then wails and cries and screams and protests loudly when the cops then try to apprehend him, you have raised a uh, a human, uh, you know, a constitution of some kind of uh, you know swamp uh, lizard feces. I don't even know how to say. It. I mean, that what a dis, what a like dis- how dishonorable. My God, I thought that we were useless Gen Xers. These guys just are absolutely dishonorable. Can you imagine? I get to, I get to, because I'm special, and my mommy and daddy sent me to school for 50K a year. I get to now, because I know I'm really good in my heart, because they taught us that. I get to point a laser pointer in a cop's eye to try to damage his eyesight, which has happened, permanently, because I'm very special. And it... He dares intervene on me after that. My God, I have every right to be every right to be uh, offended. Absolutely, because I'm a really good person and he's a Nazi, and that's it. That's how that's that's easy. It has to be, you know. It's nice and easy. Just ask Charlemagne. It's nice and easy. I want to, you know. Charlemagne demands a reckoning for all the years of when things weren't weren't even. As if we haven't had been having that conversation for three hundred years. As if these conversations haven't been happening forever, forever, forever. You know, America has been reckoning with it. since When they signed the Declaration of Independence, they were talking about this reckoning that needed to be happening there. There was a war, Charlemagne the God. And so suddenly this reckoning means that we have to have a woman of color if, it's, if that's not the, the best candidate for a vice president? That's dumb. And it's... It, it's self-destructive for everybody, all peoples, people of color, and people of uh, non melatonined ones, uh, savages like me. You know that's. These conversations never end. You have to have the difficult conversation. Shut up! We've been having the difficult conversations, okay? No, you. What they mean is, I have to. I have to only have the difficult conversation that is word for word your conversation because I need to learn from you. You though never have to learn from me. No, no, you're all set. You're all set. Everything you said and know has been codified by you know respected New York Times columnists, sixteen, nineteen auteurs. There's never any learning on the other side. It's always my side. My, t- me, time to chat, I have to learn. I have a, some, a lot of learning to do. I haven't learned anything. You know, as I've been enriching myself on uh, it, through my racism, conscious or otherwise, through my whole life. I don't know when, I, I guess, like, is there a club? Is there somewhere I haven't been going to where I, I have a special pass that gets me in? To this life on a silver platter, due to my skin color, is there a club somewhere that I didn't know about that that I can go to to, you know, just enjoy all the trappings of stuff in there? If there is a club, I was not told, or I didn't open that piece of mail, or I lost the invitation long a long time ago. There are s- spaces to use uh, a popular overused hackneyed phrase word. There are spaces in which me being a white man probably are have been advantageous. There are spaces which me being a white man are not advantageous. There are spaces to which me being fat, which I am, are not advantageous. Now, I get the feeling when I walk into a roast beef place and a guy looks at me, he says, "You know what? I know how to please that guy." And he's probably right. He probably is prejudging me. And he's probably prejudging me exactly accurate. And so I may get the best damn thing in that place that day. Yes, there's no doubt about that. There's no doubt about that. I've also been, and even when I was younger and thinner, I've been somebody who's who's had multiple jobs in the service industry and the restaurant industry, et cetera, when I was younger. And I remember walking into rooms of these restaurants and clubs where every person in the room it was before a shift on a couple of occasions. I'm thinking of one in particular. Every person in the room was about 23 years old and absolutely gorgeous. The guys were handsome. The women were gorgeous. And I walked in and, for a bartending job, and I remember one of the gorgeous young ladies handing me a clipboard, and she might, have, might as well have said, uh, you know, she might as well have, you know, in front of me, just incinerated my application. It was made very clear to me that I was not going to be working there. I would not be making the grade. There was a special bunch of good-looking people in there, and Tom Shattuck wasn't. You know, my, my privilege doesn't work across the board, necessarily. You know, my privilege, when I got into radio, I got into radio at the front desk. I was a receptionist, a front desk receptionist over the age of 30. I'm not saying and the only thing you know my dad didn't work in radio my or uncle I didn't have a friend in radio, you know I was there at the front desk, and the only thing I was privilegeless and the only thing I could do was try to be good at my job, and that was it, so I just worked and worked and worked and worked. I didn't get any of the cool tickets that the other people got i mean to to uh sporting events and to um to um concerts and things like that in the radio. I didn't get the cool T-shirts that were flying around. I didn't get all the. I didn't get them to go. Uh, I did actually once go into the, the like the box at Fenway Park and get to. You know I wasn't in the cool group or whatever. I was absolutely at the total bottom of the place. I couldn't even leave my desk. My desk. I couldn't even leave my desk. There was somebody who used to, was supposed to break me twice a day. And sometimes she wouldn't just show up. She'd just go and hang out with the cool people from the rock station. And so I got zero breaks. Sometimes I couldn't leave. It. No, listen. I understand that it was working as a front desk receptionist at a radio station. It was not working, uh, you know, picking cotton during slavery. It was, was a. So I'm not equating anything with anything. But just in case somebody assumes that that it's all a, it's a cakewalk for us white people all the time, not necessarily. You know this. Privilege thing comes and goes depending where you are and when you are, really. You know, that's how it life... It also could have been easy to, as if I've... It's, it, it's very easy. And there was for me and for a lot of my friends at that time, it was very easy just to stay in menial jobs and just hang out and drink beer after work and, and you know... Be the smartest guy at our dive bar. Guys at our dive bar, it's very easy to do that and say, "Well, this is it." Because I mean, how am I going to break into what I want to do? It's I can't get in. It's too hard. It's you can't. It's very easy to quit and not do something. Those are all the, those options are there, but that kind of thinking, of course, you have to have it in you to believe that you can do something. And that you can stand out and that you can be better and that you can fit into whatever group you want to. And you have to sell yourself to do it. And you have to change yourself and better yourself and and learn to do things that seemed fr- frivolous at the time. I remember when I was at a re- the receptionist of that uh, radio station, I made a promise to myself that I would do everything right for at least one year. That meant that if I saw it, a, a crumb or a piece of paper on the ground down the hall. I grab it and throw it out. Even if any, nobody was looking, didn't matter. I thought I'm going to just jump in, dive in and be totally committed. I was folding envelopes and taking calls from from uh, people who were angry that the stations were flipping formats and you know sending FedExes. That was the that was the day to day, and that was it. And it was medial. And a long a lot of time, it just uh, it, it didn't seem like anything would happen. Nothing would happen. Nothing would happen. Nothing would happen. People liked me, but, you know, I was the oddly older than everybody else, uh, you know, in that kind of position guy at the front desk uh, with no discernible talent other than being a nice guy who was reliable as far as I knew. But eventually, eventually, somebody comes over and talks to you and wants to know what, what you're about. And that started happening, and, you know, somebody gave me for helping out somebody gave me a shot eventually let me go to uh let me like work overnights in the weekends which I did so I worked overnights in the weekends and I got to at least be in the radio part of the radio station and it was incredible and I loved it and I was thrilled and oh, it was all the buttons and the on the sound of the the studio door opening this and that and I was I was a radio fan so to be there for me that was incredible to hear coast to coast with uh George Norrie or Art Bell at that time Maybe um, and uh, the the weekend hosts come in in the morning, and you're doing a live weekend show, and learning to run the board and all that stuff. You know, it took little by little, but and I'm and I'm not saying I'm not tooting my own horn here because I'm not exactly like a well-known person in the world. You know, I've had uh, I've enjoyed some moderate success, but I mean, it's what I'm saying is this. I'm not a, even a good example, but I'm the example I know most. That your future depends on your resolve to commit yourself 100% to the goal, regardless of the easy on-ramps that come are offered to you, off-ramps are offered to you along the way. It's easy to say, I was already past my prime, I was thirty, over 30 years old, that people treated me as like a uh, a, a simple uh, child, overgrown child, uh, you know, because I was doing a re- really menial job. And uh, this and that, whatever. And, uh, you know, it, at that point, it, why I could just go back to working at a hotel and, and I could have another kind of uh, job there and at least have more security there and make more money, certainly, etc. There's a thousand reasons to quit served to you every day and to just kind of exist and not hustle anymore. But what needs to happen, in my opinion, is that people, especially young people, need to believe in themselves. And usually that belief is instilled from a parent. And if you don't have a parent who's instilled that in you, um, then that's tragic. Or maybe the a church can instill it in you, or uh, other parts of your community. If you have no social capital, Around, uh, who you know, people or a circle that could uh, to give you a sense of your of your worth, then that is tragic. I believe that that is a from just from talking to this in this podcast to um, to some of the black guests we've had on. I believe that that is something that in the black community is is there's a huge depletion of, and I think you can just look at the numbers, the, the number of uh, you know unwed mothers in the black community. It's a very tough thing to to do when you're you're having to work or you're, you know, you, you're essentially you're you, you're you're bound to uh, this destitution. It's hard to instill hope when when you can't see when a young person can't witness a, an upward uh, ascension at all around him or her. So that. That's important, and if you want to say that the reason for that is racism, sure. I think you can draw a string and, and 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 make a claim that that certainly is a factor. But what happened to us three hundred years ago is a factor to all of us, and so is what happened to us five years ago, and ten years ago, and twenty years ago, and thirty years ago, etc. There is no doubt that if you are some, if you're a poor impoverished young man in the black in the black community and it goes for the white community as well in in these, in these communities and actually a lot of these folks are probably living next door to each other that in and you haven't inherited um real estate and you don't have relatives with any resources and you don't have um, an intact family. There is no doubt it's going to be a tough haul, a tougher haul certainly, especially getting through those years, the years of uh, adolescence, and then into through your twenties, especially if there's high unemployment, or and you don't know how to get a job, especially if you're not educated enough to 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 present to a a prospective employer uh, as somebody who is a good hire. And this goes. This is for. This is for every creed and color there is, white, black, Hispanic, whatever, and a lot of that's a lot of that more than anything now, because we can't do anything right now about 1810, because 1810 already happened, and it's gone, you can't undo 1810, but at this moment, I think certainly we can help prepare people and give people the gifts and tools they need to learn and make their, uh, make their experience, the short experience here on earth, better. And prevent, especially young men, from the easy option, which is crime a lot, and, to the, and thus incarceration, and then that's a path to, that's a that's a that's a, a a path to oblivion or early death, and it's it's tragic. And the story of how we got there is a long story, but now we're here. So Charlemagne, I appreciate it, and you can have all the white people in the world admit that all of their ancestors were terrible. And it did terrible things for for hundreds of years, and and there is a there needs to be a better reckoning. And, and you want to talk about? You could just keep on picking the crimes. The fact that the, the, the Tuskegee Airmen you know, c- couldn't come back and vote, and it didn't have rights, and couldn't use white bathrooms, and when these guys are heroes, yeah, that's that's bullshit. That sucks. That's terrible. And there and those there's millions of those. And it, it's but those are long. Almost every demographic is going to have their own uh, claims and. Um, is going to, you know, uh, what is a, what's the what word I'm thinking of? it's um, in a union, you have a grievance. It's going to have a grievance. Um, and it could be anything. Life throws a lot of stuff at a lot of people, and it doesn't care what color you are. So I'm going to need you to, this happened today. I'm going to be in trouble for telling you the story. This is not really related to what I was just talking about. Did I mention Obama back then? I don't even know how I got started on that. I didn't mean to talk about that. Here's this is my so so this is this is my story here today. So, and this is not your fault, your problem. This is my problem. But we bought a house uh, about a year and a half ago. We lived in a nice little town near Boston, and the the house that we lived in was a hellhole. It was. Uh, two bedrooms but it really was it was barely standing it was like a a painted refrigerator box with uh shingles um and it was hellhole but it was our first house and we had our kids there and we'll always love our memories there but that's fine we had uh, you know we, we had three kids and then four kids and it was time to get a bigger house so we looked around and we got a this house this nice old house I mean, way north of massachusetts essentially southern new hampshire essentially and it's from 1726 or something, and it's an old colonial, and it's just so charming and great and that. But so we bought the the new house. Everything immediately, like we had rats when we first got here, which have been dealt with. Um, and then we had... Um, and then everything, all of our appliances broke. Then we needed, I saw we needed another car, and that car broke. So we, are, we were hemorrhaging money when we first moved to this house. And then... We went to a the town next door, had a little yard sale. This thing where everybody in town does the yard sale. And we picked up this steamer trunk, this gorgeous old steamer trunk for 10 bucks, Just 10 bucks. Hold on, I'm going to have a sip of this. Hang on. I usually do that when I play sound. So you know that's what I'm up to when you hear that. But this, this uh, steamer truck costs 10 bucks. And it was beautiful, and we, we used it as a coffee table. We filled it with blankets and pillows and you know, case the kids wanted to sleep over in this beautiful room that we have in this cool new old house. And so uh, the trunk was great, and we loved it. It all was good, happily ever after. No, not quite. So the trunk, we found out later, had lead paint on it. And essentially, our little kid, who was a year at that time, was, uh you know, always had his hands on it and was essentially, you know how kids are, they kind of eat off things. And he tested high for lead, very high for lead because of this trunk. So we got all the lead tests and all the things like that. Uh, and, um, you know, we found out, uh, we tested, my wife tested all the stuff in the house to see if it was, what was lead, found out the trunk was lead. So I threw the trunk out, I broke it so nobody would pick it up um, and, you know, use it as for their kids, which was tragic to do, but I had to do it. And um, off it went, the trunk was gone. But since our doctor had tested uh, my kid for lead and he, it was high, the state sent an inspector. So the inspector then comes over and says, okay, I just have to do this thing and inspect your house because we understand that, you, that your child has a huge lead thing. Meanwhile, of course, the lead problem was the trunk. But the inspector has this gadget, this tricorder thing that, you know, can detect 18, down through 18 layers of paint. And of course, everything's coming up hot for lead. Everything's coming up lead. And she's like, lead, lead, lead. All you can hear the sound, lead, lead, lead. There's lead in the walls everywhere. It's all in the walls, you know? It's covered in paint. You know, we had no reason to believe it's bleeding any lead. It's covered in walls, whatever. So meanwhile, we get our kid tested again. After the trunk is gone, boom, lead level's down to normal. It was the trunk the whole time. Didn't matter. The state said you have to de-lead the house. So, and the state doesn't care. There's no conversation. They just don't care. Tragically, the lead levels, too, have been made so that they're now, they, they've they lowered the allowable number of leadlets or whatever it's called. So now, you know, 10 years ago, this lead test wouldn't have led to anything. But now, here we go. So we have to de the house. And anyway, to get the money to de the house, since we had no money, because we already were stretched from getting a house and from all of our stuff breaking and new cars etc so we had to get a bank loan along with a this other loan so the whole thing whatever and we had to the way they did it kind of clever is the bank private bank said okay we'll help you with some of the lead money but you have to make an improvement to the house with during the process that way the house appreciates and that way Somehow that makes sense. that that allows you to be eligible for the loan. So he said, "Fine." So they did. Let the house and they finished two old rooms in a basement. And sorry, in the in, in the um, attic. And the rooms are the rooms are small rooms. I have to bend over and I almost like whack my head every time I'm like a giant when I walk through them. But the rooms look great and whatever. But anyway, the whole thing costs like oh, over 135 thousand. And so I don't even know. I've told my mom, I don't even know. We didn't have any savings. We had zero savings, just credit cards, and so of course we, we've now used. You know, we've we're in credit card debt. Which the only good part of that is, is probably you are too. Um, so, so now like we've lived off credit cards. Oh yeah, we when this lead thing happened, we had to move out too, so we had to stay in hotels. It was just a, it was. This is all in 2020. So 2020 has been excellent. So, so anyway, that's our sob story. But, you know, everybody's healthy. We live in a house. We have two cars. I mean, I, there's only so much I can complain. It's, a, like, a crazy huge number of the amount of money we own. Oh, it might as well just say $6 million because I don't know, like, where we – but who cares? You know, we're happy. We live in America. We live in the greatest country in the world. And my kids, uh, they had fun in the hotels. And now we've got uh, all the kids and we've got the dogs and we've got chickens. And the kids have a nice yard to play in. That's nice and fenced in. And – So, you know, at the end of the day, hell, it's only money. That said, one thing I was looking forward to being done with was something that happened to me today. So, and especially since when we sold the last house, we cleared all our credit cards. And so it was a nice feeling. No credit card debt. You know, that changed, of course. But um, so today since some cards now are maxed out some aren't maxed out this and that and you know my wife just started working so we're gonna we'll get all this stuff we'll get squared away eventually but it's just one of these things where you know it's it's one of these patches where it's, it gets to be a, it a little bit uh, tougher sometimes just to manage which cards have money and which don't like we're not like we don't we don't need a loan anyway or anything like that although if you're offering it's Winchester at gcom no I'm just kidding and so um. But you know, so like, what this card has this much, this doesn't. So I said to my wife, I said I need to go to the uh, grocery store and get a few things. Uh, what do I use? Should I use cash uh, or should I use what should I use? And she said, Well, use this card. I think it was a Fidelity credit card. It's got it's got plenty of room on it. And I say, Oh, good enough. I got my Fidelity card. So I go to the store. It was a good shopping run. You know, the aisles I need weren't blocked. They've got aisles have now the arrows on them, which tell you which way you can go because of you get coronavirus if you go the wrong way. So, I'm picking up the stuff I need. I'm like, this is this is just too excellent. They had all these hot peppers, these hot like habaneros, and I've been I've been using making these my own like ridiculously hot salsa and things. It's nice and cheap too. And so, I get all my stuff. I got my basket. I got one person in front of me in the twelve uh, items or less line. I think I got about twelve. She's ringing the stuff up. You know, I hit 12 and there's still more items to come. I'm like, oh, God, I'm one of those guys. But you know what? If, they, if the woman behind me says, um, you have more than 12 items, I'm going to say, um, either I'm going to say that the cashier told me to come there anyway, which would be dishonest, but would uh, at least be some kind of uh, excuse. Or I'm going to say, I'm sorry, I'm just stupid. And I was getting ready in my mind for the confrontation. The woman behind me could care less. She was just living her her life. She's not petty like me because I would have looked ahead of me probably and said, "Wait a second, that's fifteen, huh. huh?" And maybe I asked like the cashier, "Oh, is it is this for fifteen or less or twelve or less?" Because I have twelve and I didn't want to get more because I didn't want. I mean, I am you probably not, but I'm fully capable of being a jerk anyway. So. So no, there's no problem. She rings it up. I got my baby, the uh Fidelity card right there. I even got my wife because she's nice. I got her so these new Coke uh Coca-Cola has these new like their own uh energy drinks, and they're really delicious. And they were they're on sale at this at the market basket. So I ring those babies up. I'm like, This is excellent. This is a good transaction. And uh, I throw the card in there, credit, please. And then when we goes she's Okay, um is anyone you want to get down with them? And I said, "What?" But I noticed that the display did not say what it usually says, which is like, um, "Please take card" or whatever. It was like a display was like an ellipsis. You know, it was just kind of. Um... The woman said, "Yes, unfortunately, your card was declined." And I thought, "Wait a second! No, no, there's, there's no way, because my wife told told me to use this and only this card." There's no, but I didn't say that to the woman. I said, "Are, are you sure that you sure?" And she said, yeah, well, let me see. It says insufficient. Yeah, it looks like you're overdrawn on it. I was like, that's a lot of information for her to even have. I said, oh, oh, great. Okay. Um, so now I am horrified. I'm 47 years old. And something that used to happen to me fairly routinely when I was 22 is now happening again. There has not been a decade of my life where I have gone without being rejected for insufficient funds or some other horrible um, uh, front at the front of the line, you know, with people watching, which if there was this time too. So I didn't even, I was, this time I was, I didn't see it coming, so I was not prepared. And I'm like, oh, I can't, uh, I don't have any, can I, can you just hold this here? I'm the, I'm the, can you hold the stuff here so I can run and get some more money? I said, can I, I have to go, I'm sorry, I have to go, that's the only card I have, and I, I was holding 18 cards, of course, but I knew all of the other ones were dead, so, she, she's like, and she feels awkward now, so now everybody's awkward around her, she's like, oh, you know what, I can just hold these back here if you want to go and, uh, you know, come back and, and in with, with another form of payment, and she's like, She knows in her heart that I'm not coming back, that I am destitute and, you know, probably strung out on drugs. And I've just made bad life choices. And I'm like thinking to myself, I don't, I felt like I wasn't coming back. I said, I'll I'll be back for that. And I felt like I'm, so then I start. I spent the entire ride home um, working my rage up at my wife and thinking of what the proper revenge was. So I decided this and Charlamagne, maybe he'll be for this. I decided this, that I was going to walk in there. Ideally, my wife would be outside in the driveway doing something and see me walk with no groceries. So it could start, the tragedy could unfold that way. Well, where's your, oh my God, please tell me it wasn't insufficient funds and you didn't humiliate yourself because of something I did, Tom. So I get to my house. Nobody's in the driveway. I look inside. I can't wait. My goal is that I'm going to give her the keys and say, I've already had a tough day and say can you just go there please because you told me in case you forgot I just want to air these the I want to air the offense to me publicly you told me that this was the card to use so I then trusted you I went to the store to get among other things milk which is a noble offering for my children and I was humiliated now because we didn't have enough money to buy groceries Because that is the current station, my current station in life. So now I think it's incumbent upon you, and she's not here right now, um, and I wouldn't, you know what, maybe I'll bring this up when she joins us again. Uh, Can you please just go there? Because I've already been so reduced to a pile of humiliated, um, you know, emasculated uh, former man that I cannot possibly possibly you know face uh, the 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 people who saw my uh defenestration so i'm looking for my wife in the house so i can begin this performance and i can't find her i'm like and i see my daughter i said can you go find your mother because somebody find your mother and i'm like asking everybody to find their mother and i'm she's not around and I'm losing steam and I need to, I need it while the anger's still there. I need to be able to do this very passive aggressive maneuver. And she's still not there. And then I yell upstairs. I say, Alice on the third floor, which is one of the renovated floors, if you must know, uh, come by and see it sometime. Uh, And I said, Alice. And she said, yes, Tom. Yes. And then my daughter runs back down from the third floor and says, she's doing her virtual class with the two year old uh, daddy. And I said, She is well. How long will she be? And she says, "Um, oh, I don't know. I mean, it can be a long time." I'm like, "Damn!" I am hemorrhaging like uh, hate, motivation, anger right now as we speak. by the moment, so then I'm like stewing around the house and around the kitchen, and I like I just throw in like pizza bites, whatever, for the kids. And and after the ten minutes is gone, after the done with the pizza bites for the kids for their lunch. I'm like, I'm not really mad anymore, and now it's my turn to just have to either be a bitch about it, which I was intending to be, which is, you know, one of the great things that my wife gets to enjoy, you know, a 300 plus pound crybaby because, you know, his groceries didn't get rung up, uh, you know, in front of people who wants to put on a huge melodramatic performance tour, or I could just suck it up go to uh grab some cash and I know that she had some ca- we had gotten some cash the other day and just go handle the situation so I w- that's what I did I, I'm not I know I'm not exactly storming you know Mount Sorabachi here doing this um but so that's what I did I went to the store the the young lady w- was as nice as she could be my groceries were my little orphan groceries were sitting there behind behind their the checkout counter in purgatory Waiting for me, I um, liberated those uh, those things, and then and then I went home. And my wife never knew even what happened, even though then I did bring it up. Just so it, I just and I didn't even complain about it. I just wanted it on the record that such a thing had occurred and I had been harmed. I mean, it, it, husbands, you don't waste one of those, right? You don't pocket one of those. I, I assume really good men probably do all the time but I try not to hang out with with a lot of those people. What else do we have going on here? Oh, my friend Mike Ditka. Who isn't it great? So the point of that story is, and I don't know if there is a point, but um, you know, sometimes just shut up and get over it and move on and handle your situation. Handle your bleep, okay? So Mike Ditka, very interesting. I had um I saw Mike Ditka Right in front of Dick Ditka's restaurant in Chicago, like 20 years ago, with a friend, and it was so perfectly Mike Ditka. Interesting guy. I actually got his cell phone number from somebody, and when I was a radio producer, we used to have do this. uh, We used to do this um, a um, charity telethon, radiothon for the Fisher House, and they provide housing for families of wounded veterans. So, uh, and it, Ditka's one of the one, one of the guys who I was told might be receptive to it. So I got his phone number. And, man, it was so scary to call him it, and because it was Ditka, you know, Mike Ditka, the big head coach of the Bears, the former head coach of the Bears, and just such a big personality. And I was cold calling him. I was like, oh, God, don't answer, don't answer, don't answer. It shows you what a really good producer I was. So he would answer. I remember, he, like, every year for, like, four years he would answer. And I would say, uh, he'd say, "Hello," and I'd say, "Hey, uh, Coach," he'd say, "Yeah," and I'd say, "Well, uh, my name is Tom Shattuck, and I'm from this, uh, the Michael Graham Show with WC." Say, yeah, yeah, yep. And he'd say something, "Speak up, speak up," and I, he'd already have me like intimidated. And I and I said, uh, "Can you do this radiothon thing?" And he'd say, "He said, and he'd say, okay, for the Fisher House, what time?" I'd say, like, uh, 4 p.m. or 4.30, can you do And he said, I can do 4.45. I can do 4.45, and I can do it then, on that Thursday. And I'd say, oh, thank you. We'll call you on this number. And he says, yes, absolutely. And he was, like, a really gruff guy, but the greatest guy in the world and would always do it. You know, he would never say no. And actually, you know who else would never say no? You're not going to like this, or maybe you will. Uh, Bill O'Reilly. Bill O'Reilly always said yes to stuff about the troops. Also a gruff guy. <laughs> But here's Mike Ditka. They ask him about all this uh, kneeling for the National Anthem stuff. And um, this was his answer. And I miss this kind of this kind of thing. You know, Mike Ditka is a guy who built his career in a profession that was a really racially diverse profession for years. So uh, I I just really uh, enjoyed him. Ditka, where are you on um, on taking a knee for the national anthem? If
3: you can't respect our national anthem, get the hell out of the country.
1: All right. Nice and easy. I love it, though. Let's continue with more Ditka.
3: Then That's the way I feel. Of course, I'm old-fashioned, so I'm, I'm only going to say what I feel. Uh, I think there's a way that you... You protest, and there's a way you don't protest. You don't protest against the flag, and you don't protest against this country, who's given you the opportunity to make a living, playing a sport that uh, you never thought would would happen. So I, I don't want to hear all the crap.
1: <laughs> Maybe that should be the thing, you know. I don't want to hear all the crap. I'm done with it. I'm it, enough. Enough kids, you know. I'm enough done with enough, uh, you know, upper middle class kids, uh, you know, from Western Massachusetts yelling at working class uh, and middle class black police officers and lecturing to them. I'm done with it. Done with it. I'm with Coach Mike. If you can't respect our national anthem, get the hell out of the country. You don't have to leave the country, but we've had enough of it, guys. Come on, it's time to turn the page. It's time to start being better. This is a uh, we. There's still time to. Even through the pandemic, even through the the rioters and the Antifa stuff and the the horrible politics of our time, there is still time to turn this baby around and have a good rest of 2020. Can we do it, though? Can we do it? I think there's a chance we can. Thanks for listening. Follow me, please, on Twitter at Tom Shattuck. You can get me, uh, Winchester, at Gmail. Winchester, W-I-N-N-C-H-E-S-T-E-R, at gmail.com. I really appreciate everybody listening. Um, you know, things are getting better and better for us, and um, couldn't do it without you. See you tomorrow.
0: C'est la vie. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts?